Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You probably know today's guest as America's heartthrob on The Bachelor. And it's true. And if you're a young woman, you've probably heard his smart relationship advice on his popular podcast, The Vile Files. But today, Nick Vile joins me to chat about his new book. And oh, what a book. It's called Don't Text Your Ex Happy Birthday and other advice on love, sex, and dating. Listen, we're going to dive deep on all things love, dating, and even business related. So welcome, Nick. I was so excited about you coming today. Thanks for being here. It's so nice to be with you, Barbara. I know. And you look more handsome than I even think you were going to be. I'm flattered. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I require good lighting for photos. Oh, I I don't think so. I don't don't know. I've had some bad, I have some bad photos floating in the internet. But why'd you have to bring your girlfriend with you? It spoiled my day. I'm sorry. That was selfish of me. It was selfish of you. We could have had a much better time without her sitting there watching. She wants to keep an eye on you. She knows you're a threat. Okay. Whoa. Well, that feels better. I like the way this is going. (laughs) I'll settle for that. (laughs) So I'm going to start with uh, something different from the book. Uh, You're the second oldest of 11 children. I am. I'm the second oldest of 10. So it's pretty much the same. Basically the same. Uh, I'm curious whether you think of your position as still a middle child. People always call me a middle child. And more importantly, uh, what was great about being in a big family? Oh, I, I'm very grateful for it. Um, I've never considered myself a middle child. I weirdly, I don't, I, I, I often refer to myself as an only child with ten siblings. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> you were the favorite, obviously. I, me and my mom are close. Yes, um, are. My 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 sister Maria, I think, might be my dad's favorite. But I've I've just been a very kind of self sufficient person, and mm-hmm. I've always kind of kind of went by the beat of my own drum and kind of did my own thing. I have an older sister and then two sisters after me. So for, for a moment, I was the only boy. And yes. so I just kind of did my own thing. And even in adult life, you know, I'm very close with my family and I love my family, but I'm also very, very independent and mm-hmm. I kind of do my own thing. So I certainly never felt like I was a, a middle child and probably more than anything, you know, the older brother, big brother, um, you know, I probably was guilty at times with my younger sibling of trying to be like a second father rather than being oh, really? a brother, which I think something I had to learn for myself to to know my role with my siblings. I think um, I think older siblings can make that mistake of mm-hmm. uh, of trying to you know it's with the best intentions. Hey, I, well, I made these mistakes for, for having people look up to you. Yeah, right. And so, um. So certainly no middle child. I, I was never lacking love and attention from my parents. So mm-hmm. I, I never felt that way. But um, yeah, it's always been, I, I have, I just didn't know anything different, right? Mm. So I don't, I, ne- I, I never, I don't remember ever having a feeling of wishing my family was smaller or anything mm-hmm. like that. I, maybe my younger siblings who truly are smack dab in the middle of, of 11 kids might have felt that way. But um I've always been very grateful to have the family I have, and more specifically, the parents I have. Um, they're really great people. Um, I don't know how they did it, but um, mm. I feel like I got the right balance of some tough love. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been grateful that my parents were always the type of people who 
could tell me I'm being an asshole if I was being an asshole. They were mm-hmm. they weren't afraid to parent me. They weren't afraid to allow other people to you know coach me up. I played you know sports and had teachers and you know respecting my elders was a very important to to them. Um, and I'm truly grateful for that because that that has allowed me to have mentors in my life mm-hmm. and, and seek out the counsel of people who know better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just been something I've been really grateful for. So. so let's move on to advice. Who was the first person you gave advice to and thought that your advice was good? That I gave advice to and thought it was good. Better have a good answer on this. This is the beginning of your career right here. Yeah. Boy, I don't... I stumped you already. You did. Well, then remember the first, the first one. I'm trying to think. Um, Because I know, certainly, I know I I definitely tried to give advice to my younger siblings. I just don't know if it was good or if they took it. Yeah, Um, probably the latter. Yeah. And um, I had a, I will say one of the more memorable ones is that um, this was a few years ago, like five or six years ago, and I went... Um, I was hanging out with a friend of mine, she's a woman and and she was a friend and colleague and she was having a girl's night, but Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen her in a while and I was kind of going out of town and she had invited to me to come with. And, you know, this was after I had gone through like my relationships and breakups and and heartache. And I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert in the sense that I like going out. I'm kind of an ambivert. So I like parties, but I just like you know, sitting in the corner and finding out someone I enjoy talking to and, and having a conversation. And I didn't know this at the time, but her, a couple of her girlfriends were a little annoyed that I was, I was ruining girls night, you know, they were all hanging out. And her one friend who was particularly annoyed, um, apparently was going through it, you know, with, with a relationship. And I don't even really remember what I said, but she started talking about it and I said something to her that I later found out like three months later that she wasn't happy I was there. And I only found this out because she kind of admitted to my other friend. She's like, I was really disappointed that he was there, but he said something that completely changed my perspective. I don't even, I don't remember. I have to find out from her. I have to follow up with her friend, but uh, that made me feel good in the sense that because like advice can be like, I, as someone who gives it and has received it from people, you, I think you really have to respect it because you people can give bad advice all the time. But what makes the difference? And that was actually my next question. Yeah. What makes the difference between someone who really gives good advice and the other someone who thinks they give good advice and they're just terrible at it? Is it the delivery? Is it the brain power? Is it the specific advice you give? What makes the difference between one type of person and another? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all of that. I think you have to kind of have humility in terms of when you're giving advice, your goal isn't to be right. And your mm. your your goal isn't to, to receive the... you. I think it has to come from a place of genuine, like, I think I might be able to offer something. And then you have to bring empathy into the equation. Mm. Of, Maybe start with empathy. Yeah, you know, and just say, I, I've... I truly recognize where you're coming from. Uh, I've been there and this is hard and, and it's okay to make mistakes mm. and, and those types of things. And just try not to necessarily fix the whole thing, but just offer maybe a nugget that they can kind of like marinate on that mm. makes them feel, um, I guess I think it, you just have to feel okay to make mistakes. I think that sometimes if, if I offer one advice to people, 
it's like just don't beat yourself up for getting something wrong just mm. take use this as a, you can see this as a failure or you can see this as an opportunity mm-hmm. you know like well it sounds to me more like a motivator than an advice giver yeah uh, yeah i mean i guess in a, in a certain extent but I, I just want i know what it's like to feel stuck uh, mm. emotionally and and especially in in, in, in relationships because I, I have a stubbornness qualities, I have an ego, I have a desire to be right and win and things like that. And when you have all those things, it, you, you can have a hard time of, of accepting that um, you got it wrong or you, you know, and, and or that things not working out. And it's hard to take accountability. Do you ever go so far with, uh, say, an individual and say, the guy's a bum, maybe use a different name. You sure. should really leave him. Or do yeah. you just suggest that she might consider a change? Or do you go so far as to be definite? No, this guy's using you. He should get out of I, it. I really try not to do that mm-hmm. because I want, you know, like no, no one wants to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. You, I think if you give advice, you want to make that person feel empowered to come up with the solution by themselves, mm-hmm. right? But if you can offer a couple like starting points, you know, mm-hmm. like you kind of point them in the right direction yeah. and maybe you know throw in a few like you know like helpful like you might need this down this path i led you on this yeah. little bit of knowledge uh, if they ask me straight out i'll be like listen I'm, i i don't think maybe there's a, a a happy ending to this particular story but you know that's for you to decide for yourself yes uh if you empower someone to feel like uh it's their decision um they will that's that they have a better chance of taking your advice right mm-hmm. because telling someone no one likes to be told what to do yeah. no one like you know and if i were to say especially when it comes to relationships they're hard it's hard to find someone we put work into relationships even the bad ones we sometimes and the bad ones time. we put more Time's work so and time and you're sitting here telling them they suck <laughs> break up you've, you've wasted, wasted your, your time. time yeah and so no one wants to hear that they're very resistant to that and so um, so give me your version of that same delivery uh, or a different give, delivery of the same message, I should ask. Well, I like asking questions, mm-hmm. you know, um, why do you like I always tell people to think about um, any situation, like how do you actually feel about this? And then usually the first response is a very canned answer. They will respond about how they think they should feel about a situation mm-hmm. or how they've well, told well themselves about they feel about a situation. And then I'll I'll kind of stop. I'm like, no, no I'm not asking that. I'm, I'm asking you to this, describe this feeling about this situation. Just give me some adjectives. You know, mm. like how has this made you feel in this moment? You seem, if I don't mind me saying, a little frustrated, mm-hmm. or confused, or sad. Um, how long have you felt this way about this situation? And then they come very clean and just tell you. Really yeah, and they just kind of you know go. And I, because I always, you know, what's my show and people calling in. I, I'll people ask me, well, what's your trick or what do you do? And and I say. Well, all I'm really doing is I'm, I'm listening to the lies that they're telling themselves. Mm. And, I, and I really believe that no one likes us and we lie to ourselves because That's we're really in our head. Yeah. Throughout your new book entirely about being honest with yourself is where it starts, which I think is a great place to give advice. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. It's yeah. really tough because we, we don't. The world judges us so much. You know, mm. we judge ourselves. Uh, society tells us what's the right way to do things. You know, we're supposed to be married and have kids by a certain age. Mm. We're supposed to have Somebody X, Y, or Z. Jumping. And it's just very easy to be hard on ourselves. And so, and then, so I have empathy with why we lie to ourselves because sometimes it's hard to face the truth. I, I, I'm, I turned 25. I, I practically had a midlife crisis because. Gee, hope you don't have one when your midlife's around. 
I'm honestly grateful that I had it then because every every birthday after that has been great. I well, mean, guess I, what? It's going to happen again on another few birthdays. I, I suppose, eventually. I just don't have a label for it as midlife, three-quarter life. Yeah, I guess. this life. I don't whatever. like getting older, but I will say I just, I've, whatever era I'm in in my life, that, that 25th birthday really taught me to just tell myself if I haven't accomplished a certain goal, mm -hmm. even though I wanted to at this point, that's okay. Mm. Um, and I, it's crazy. And I'm curious how you think about this uh, as someone who's uh, also has not in their early 20s anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like in our early 20s, we have all these deadlines. Mm. And then we always tell Check ourselves it's too late to do something or too late to do this or too late to go back to school or too late to switch careers or take a risk. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, And yet... You know, it wasn't until my 30s I started taking more risks and, and realizing, well, what do you mean? I have all this time in my life. And and we, it's weird. When we get older, we get ourselves more permission to do this yes, sometimes. But people love formulas, I think. They yeah. like to be handed a formula with a time schedule on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, again, because the society often tells us it's too late. You know? Do you ever use the word should in giving advice? You should do this. You should do that. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. I probably have. I think I'd, I'd try... Not to. I'm more like, yeah. And if I do, it's just like it's more in the form of a question. Mm. Like what? Like what do you? People ask me, what do you think? And I, I always, I always love to just say, well, what do you think? You sound like a psychiatrist um, who's paid much less. For <laughs> <laughs> I'm paid just fine. Uh, my show, yeah. I'm thankful for the show I have. I, you know, people have asked me that. I, 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 there was a time I think you know when I was, I was in sales and I, you know, was in B2B sales. And I really quite liked it. That competitive aspect. But I don't think I truly like felt like I found my calling. Yeah, that would be a shame if you stayed there. What yeah. a waste. And uh, I remember really liking psychology, and I and, and I had this you know thought of maybe I should go back to school, and didn't because I thought it was too late. And and thankfully this I fell into this kind of fortuitously. But um, so now people have asked me, have you thought about going back to school or, or studying it? And not that I haven't You're thought about it. You're teacher now. Come on. I, I, I almost like, uh, I like the lens I, I speak to my audience or my friends because I want to be, you know, therapy is great, technic, you know, but I want to come from a place of a friend. I don't want to come from a place of authority or anything like that. Was, I, that, I, was that really the image you had when you were writing your book? Yeah, I, I really You're writing it for your friends out there. Running it for myself, for my friends. Um, yeah, it's received that way. But my way. hope was that people that. reading it, it felt like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And it feels entirely that way. Yeah. The, the book is so well written because it doesn't feel like a lecture. And I expected on a on a help kind of a book, it had to be a lecture. You had to see how you should do it. But I could not find the word "should" in this book. And it all seemed like I was just hanging out at a bar with you and kind of having a conversation. Well, that means a lot because yeah, I truly yeah. tried to, to write it that way. I'm and sure I was very did. nervous about writing this book because I do not fancy myself as much of a writer. Um, I, I, I can, and I certainly am confident in coming up with ideas, but writing something and, and saying something are two very different, oh, so different. skill sets. Yeah. And How did you a, lay it out, though? I think that's the largest challenge to having a book. I had a lot of help laying it out. You did? Yeah. I did. So like I'm very a committee, great. everybody brainstormed and put it out. Yeah, my cards. editors were very helpful because yeah. when they were like, we want you to write a book, I was like, I don't know if you realize what you're asking. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very intimidating. I really pitched them the idea of just, I had the, I do these Q&As and mm -hmm. I had thousands of 
saved. I was like, here, just make a coffee table book. Like yeah. you just put it together and color it. I would have said yes. I have that. the content. And like, yeah. I didn't really want to do any work. And they were like, no, well, we want you to, we like this idea, but we want you to write. And I was very resistant to that. But mm -hmm. I'm in, uh, very grateful for uh, uh, Samantha, my editor, who really encouraged me because without her belief in me, I, I, I wouldn't have done it. And mm. um I just, you know, took the advice that she and my therapist Erlene gave me and other people, mm -hmm. which is just don't worry about writing a book. Don't worry about writing the world's greatest novel or structure. Mm -hmm. Just write your thoughts down yeah. and stream of consciousness. And I did that and I, I did that for a while. And, and then someone else organized it, reshuffled it. And, and we it all sat together and put it to what was like basically the very first very rough draft. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you what, what, once I got to that point for anyone who has thought about writing a book or currently writing a book, get that first rough draft done. Mm -hmm. Because once you read through it, then I think you see the vision. You also you see what's wrong. You with see it the goal. Easy. You see what's wrong with it. You're like, oh, I could add this. This isn't clear enough here. I need a. I need to put more meat here. Mm -hmm. Or like, I think you it's, sound like a writer for yeah, that. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I wish I got to that part sooner because I was really resistant at first. But um, I was submitting pages up until the deadline and then asking for an extension on my deadline. Welcome I was, to the book yeah, book. it was yeah. it was really rewarding at that point. So. Um, I'm in the middle yeah. of my fourth book, and I can tell you the first was the scariest, but the second was the scariest. So was the third, and now the fourth is the scariest. I bet, yeah. But I, I do believe, for me, my my block very often is I feel like I'm writing. It's different than talking like it's permanent record, and I'll be judged by it forever. I get all dramatic about myself. What a waste of time. It Nobody's is. Nobody's reading it that way. It is a waste of time, but we do it. I do it. I yeah, mean, yeah. Natalie's always telling me to relax or calm down. I, I'm not a very relaxed person at times. Um, uh, I come have across relaxed, but I could feel it between the lines. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, no, I can be, I can, I'm, I'm calm, but not relaxed. Well said. You know, um, I'm, I, this has been a really rewarding week for me and something I've just really tried to do is enjoy it because I'm not good and at enjoying. Really your book came out yeah. on Tuesday, right? Tuesday, yeah. What did you do on Tuesday to celebrate the actual day when your book is out? It's like giving a giving birth, really. Yeah, well, I did some uh, other press opportunities um, and then we did a book signing at McNally Jackson um, that my publicist set up. And uh, I'm slightly embarrassed to say, but like it was a you know room full of... Um, of my listeners. No, it was mostly <laughs> young, young, uh, you know, 20, 30 something women. Yes. Um, and I sat in front of, you know, I got up and I sat down and I was just really kind of caught off. Uh, I, I was caught off guard with the emotions I felt in the moment. I <laughs> started bawling no in way. front of a, a room full of, this of my audience. This is the guy I met on The Bachelor, the yeah. tough guy, the wise ass. Well, I cried a lot when I was a bachelor, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a very, um, it was, I felt obviously, I mean, I knew I shouldn't be embarrassed, but like, it's a very vulnerable, I mean, I was literally sitting in front of them on a stool, just like, um, but also I felt very grateful. It was really rewarding. And, and I think it, that was the moment that I, I, you know, I mean, I feel like getting emotional now talking about, but I felt like it was, I allowed myself in that moment to really just be grateful. And yes. that was, that was really rewarding. And so surrounded it's by people who all wanted to be there. Yeah, that was like a, a thing. A it, it really did. It felt like, 
you know, in a world where, you know, your critics are often louder than your supporters. Always. Um, or you tend to focus on them more, which yeah. is a shame, really. Yeah, it was, uh, it was I felt very loved by them, and it, it was truly a moment I'll, I'll never forget. Well, you're not uh, a newcomer to criticism. When you were on The Bachelor, yeah. you were kind of quickly labeled. I feel like it happens so fast. You're the villain. It happens fast in that How world How the now. heck were you able to rebrand yourself? As a sweetheart. I mean, it went from black to white. Yeah. Well, not in all circles, I think. And still some circles, I'm sure I'm a villain. I'm not so sure. I think that's been erased. I think everybody's in love with you. I I almost feel like people have forgotten about that. But I I was, it was painful to watch. I was like, wait, give this guy a break. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've learned how to be grateful Mm -hmm. for it. Um, It taught me perspective. It taught me. You know, in a especially in a reality TV world, you go regardless if you're liked or disliked. You overnight you go from being just you know normal person and to you're out of control of it to, too. To, to to like a, a public celebrity status. I, I use that word loosely, but you know certainly well known. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a playbook for that, and and there's not enough a, a coaching around how to handle that but emotionally. But how did you handle it? You didn't have the coaching yeah, that smacked your head with it. What did you do? I leaned on my my true supporters, which is my family and friends, and mm-hmm. I was very lucky to have them. And I guess, I, thankfully, I knew enough to know that I did not need to seek out validation from people who didn't know me. I wanted to be liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's always a, a part of my personality I've always been grateful for, which is I like being liked as much mm-hmm. as the next person. That's all right. Everybody does. I like it. But I like being myself more. Mm-hmm. And I, that's just something I've always had, um, mm-hmm. you know, that sometimes I f- feel it. misunderstood and frustrated. And it's just like, no, I feel like you should like this about me, but I realize some people don't. And mm-hmm. I'd rather, I just have a really hard time pretending mm-hmm. um, unless I'm acting like for money. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I like being my authentic self. It just really makes me feel comfortable because when you when you are loved for who you are there is no greater feeling and that's um, your definition of true love yeah loved for who you are truly yeah feel yeah. safe to be yourself Simple. um again that doesn't mean you don't want to work on your weaknesses and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean you don't want to always improve in person but we are who we are and on a certain level we have to accept that and then find the people who are willing to love you for it but when i was watching the transformation of you i got the impression correct me if i'm wrong that it was quite intentional on your part or was it just part of the show that they turned around the imaging or was it that you wanted to convey a different image to people who were watching yeah it wasn't really that intentional no, um, gee, i thought it was wow yeah i mean listen i, I definitely didn't want to stay not liked but my reason like i was all set on not liking you forever and then it had a twist yeah, around i didn't I, like it I, at all i apologize <laughs> um you know my reasons for going back the second time is i i felt like i had a genuine connection with with caitlin at the time mm-hmm. and, and for all the times i went back on the show that was the one time that i could honestly say like i went for the girl um and and then the third time i went on i i they were they made it worth my while and they were very convincing and I was very nervous and, and not sure if I should do it. But Did you make a pact with them that, no, I have to be presented a certain way. What are you going to do? With I, it was more along the lines of, Hey guys, I've, I've literally given you like, I've, you know, producers on that show will be frustrated with cast for, you know, caring too much about their brand mm-hmm. and, or, or I'm not sure being sincere or editing themselves. And I was like, 
I give you, I, and I kind of said this to them, like, I, I've acted the way you've asked all of us to act, and you fucked me for it. Oh, wow. You're and, direct? This oh, is- yeah. Producers understand the role they play. Mm-hmm. But as long as you are professional and respectful and you understand that, like, you know, like, just don't go out publicly and bashing them. But, like, you can be honest with them that you're frustrated with them. Like, mm-hmm. you can you can communicate that. They they understand that. It's a that. job, after all. It's a job. Yeah. And you got to understand that. Be, be, be respectful to them. I took a leap of faith and... Because they had said to you, don't worry, we're going to watch you back on this one. It wasn't so much work. You know, one the one particular producer said, you're just going to have to trust me. And he said this with a kind of a shit-eating grin. <laughs> but I really, I, I, I've, for better or worse, whether it's my ego or my hubris, I'm a big believer in, in betting on myself. Yes. And... You're also a big believer and it runs throughout your whole book and being honest. Yeah. And it's just, I, I, and, and especially in reality TV, you know, the more you, the more consistent you are with who you are, the more trust you have. I have a friend, you, Ashley Iaconetti, very famously on The Bachelor, on her first stint of The Bachelor, people ridiculed her and teased her for crying and said this and said that. And every time she came back, she was the same Ashley. Mm. And so the, and certainly she'll always have her critics, but every time she showed up, more and more people What's identified that? with her and said, you know what? I am that person. I've and been they that. I've done that. And they trust you because yeah, this yeah. person can be who they are no matter what the situation. It's that consistency that you have. People really get themselves in trouble when one season they're one person, another season they're another, mm-hmm. and it's back and forth. And it's like, oh, this mm-hmm. person might be a bit disingenuous. So uh, if you can be consistent and be yourself, people will, you might not be the most popular person in the world, but the people who love you will truly have your back. Well, after your fame on The Bachelor, what was the first thing you spent a big check on? This is what some of my mm. listeners have asked me to ask you. I said, that's a good question I'm going to ask. First thing? First thing. Oh, this is like the other question. You're going to think about it five minutes. Yeah. I uh, I got a Range Rover. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, it was a lease. My, oh my. It was a lease, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a fancy car. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't finance it? You just plunked down the check? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Now, how do you figure out who you want to work with as a sponsor? And do you ever turn somebody away and say, nah, it's not true to my brand? Uh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, What's uh, your criteria there? Um, well, one is, is, is there any downside to like this product? Not, mm. not all products are created equal. Not all of them are beneficial. Do you check them out yourself? Get the product? Yeah. Try to use it? Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, one, I just want to make sure it's not going to do anything bad. Mm, you know? I would say it's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, and then as far as like if I use it, I want to, I just, you know, I want to be able to, you know, because it's a wide range. Like some stuff, it's just like I've become a customer for life, you know, mm-hmm. Brooklinen, uh, Felix Mattress. <laughs> love it. I mean, truly, I don't care. Uh, if they don't want to give me more free stuff, I'm buying it. It's it's great stuff. And other stuff, I really like it. But I realize, you know, like with Natalie, she loves things that I might not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have an audience full of women. So it's not like I have to be obsessed with everything I'm talking to run about. run by Natalie? Yeah. Say, hey, what do you think of this product? Absolutely. And um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, if, if I think someone in my audience can benefit from it, mm-hmm. then I'm, I'm happy to support it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would think Natalie would be key because everyone buying from her is probably female, right? Uh, most, yeah. So and and Natalie has excellent line. taste. She is a 
Not she everyone has good taste. You. Yeah, well, <laughs> and you can't manufacture taste. That's for sure. Yeah, you can't. And she has excellent taste. She's really good at interior design as well. And does she uh, get a big share, a big chunky of profit? Uh, no. <laughs> she. I, I feel like I'm generous, but she's she's uh <laughs> she's independent and self sufficient, and uh, I think she's doing incredibly well for herself. But yeah. I, I do like to. Sh- I love sharing my life with her, and I love sharing everything I have with her, and I hope to do that for the rest of my life. Well, related, Natalie, for me, that should you ever get hooked up together, I want to talk to her about a prenup. Oh, we've we've, we've had to... this conversation. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. Any advice for us? Yeah, have a killer attorney tell her I'll give her his <laughs> name. <laughs> not really, not a killer attorney. I don't know a killer attorney. <laughs> um, yeah, I as I think I think prenups are are. Are, shouldn't be the taboo thing that they often led to be. But marriage, they often are. They are. Marriage is what yeah. marriage means something different than it did back in 1920. So so. And it can you're, still especially be. Especially if you're a little bit more established yeah. or your family has money, it complicates so much. Yeah. And it's still an agreement. And mm-hmm. you, you in, in business, I've learned from lawyers, you know, a lawyer will, especially if you're, I've been in business with friends before, and a lawyer will say, listen, this is not personal, but like you can't predict the future. And my mm. job, it's my job to do that. My job is to predict all the possible scenarios. And then you say, go explain it to my girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> it's going to go over big. It should be mutually beneficial. And like, it's one of those things too, where like, if you're going to, marriage truly nowadays mm-hmm. should only be about the love. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the case back in the mm-hmm. day. You know, well, back you in the day. Often can't afford that. Well, yeah. yeah, back in the day too, just the way our society was or or, or the restrictions we put on women, right? Like mm-hmm. back in the day, marriage, like women weren't allowed to own property, mm-hmm. you know? like it's hard to believe. Yeah. Really crazy things like that. And so like marriage had certainly other purposes. But mm-hmm. now, you know, with we're in 2020, we're a progressive society uh it shouldn't be about you know the finances it should really be about the love and so a prenub i feel like at that point um can well, almost can almost help that yeah belief, yeah you know, on first blush i probably have maybe four friends who are fairly affluent and insisted their children who marry in their 30s get a prenup and uh in two of the situations it broke up the marriage and they really liked the girl this was the dad's of sons, you know, I and I think that came from the right place. They were just yeah. trying to clean it up, make sure everything's okay. You know, it's but interesting. It I, I would, I'd be curious. I wonder mm-hmm. if maybe that's just for the best. I mean, like we, it's, well said. Mm-hmm. Um, in relationships, we, especially early on, we we often wait for the right time to have the tough conversations because mm-hmm. we don't want to ruin the moment. Absolutely. You know, we don't want to ruin the honeymoon phase, and we don't like, oh, like let's just worry about this later. It's this is this is too fun right now. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know the conversation that was had. I do yeah. know, like early on, Natalie and I, you know, I'm a big believer in having conversations at the right time, even mm-hmm. if it's awkward or if it kills a moment, because if you have it the right way and you, mm-hmm. it comes from a place of love. You can get through it. And more importantly, it can give you the confidence that you can have these types of conversations with Absolutely, someone. which is going to be so um, you, know, you don't want to find out you, you can't have tough conversations after it requires lawyers to break up. Mm, uh, and, and people often wait. And, you know, I don't know what this says about us. I think it says something pretty positively. But, like, Nanny and I had this conversation multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I felt it made uh, my relationship feel stronger because it surely made me feel like we were in this relationship because of how we felt about each other, not because of any other benefit Mm. that could come with it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, if we end up together, 
I want to give her everything I have. I hope she wants to give me everything she, she has. She told and me it, she doesn't yeah. want to give you anything. Honestly. Well, Barbara, you know. <laughs> I'm just joshing yeah. I know, I know. Make it a little trouble. Let me ask um, you your reaction to this. When I uh, wanted to marry each of my husbands, I proposed within six months and gave them a quick deadline. That's unusual, I find. But with a woman who is hesitant to propose, which is generally the great majority, um, how else do you close the deal? What's, this, what's your best smart advice? How do you close the deal? Because there uh, comes a time when you want to close a deal. Uh, know what your boundaries really are mm -hmm. and, and not compromise on those boundaries. For example, though, say you're dating a guy and you think it's about time, this should be going somewhere yeah. and nothing's happening. How do the boundaries fit in there? Well, again, you know, again, I think people often confuse boundaries as something that they, what boundaries is something you set for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, my boundary is Wednesday next week. I want to be married. Yeah, sure. Okay, that's your boundary. And if if that's truly a boundary, boundaries are are your non negotiables. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the things that you know that are very important to you. Whether it's a business deal or a relationship deal, like I can't. This is you have some things. It's like I can't give this up. I'll give you this because, like, honestly, it's more of a like a nice to have rather than a necessity. Mm -hmm. But I'm not compromising on this. And, and Nick, do you think when you stated in that way that you have a clear boundary, people are far more apt to go along with your boundary and consider it? Whereas if you're a little bit loose on the whole thing. Yeah, you got to be able to walk away if yeah. you can't respect your boundary. And that's yeah. what now, that's how Natalie closed me. Oh, really? Yeah. Good for Natalie. Yeah, she had a boundary. She communicated that boundary. She felt confident about the boundary she had. She communicated her self-worth. And when I was hesitant, she said... Wow. And how, how soon was that after the relationship started? Well, we dated, you know, ca casually for about nine months and we were living long mm. distance. And, um, and so, you know, for the first period of time, it was a kind of a get to know you period. And mm. so she was just, she was as interested in getting to know me as I was getting to know her, but we reached a point where, um, she felt confident in how she felt about us and our potential. And she was no longer willing to maintain the current status of that relationship. Mm -hmm. She set a boundary for herself. She mm -hmm. communicated with me. And, and when I said, I, I can't right now, I can't respect that boundary. Um, she's, she calmly said, okay, and, but I can. And, mm -hmm. and I'm going to enforce that boundary by, by walking away from this. And, and I quickly uh, realized That's how horrible. much I wanted to respect. Yeah. Wow. And, but she said it, she, and you turned around in your boundaries or you adjusted them to accommodate her? Yeah. yeah. It was more, I realized uh, if I wanted her in my life, I had to take a risk, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes you have to take a risk. That's the thing about relationships. Mm -hmm. we, we've become so risk averse because so we, we don't want to. Listen, I, as someone who's had their heart broken, it's not fun. You don't believe you'll ever find another love. Yeah, you have to. You have to try sometimes, and if someone's uh, willing to let you know how how they feel about themselves and what they're worth, um, oh. it makes it easier to to realize that they're worth taking a risk for. Um, but it's up to us to enforce our boundaries mm -hmm. and not be afraid uh, of of walking away and and realizing because like that person either if they if they're not willing to respect your boundary now that they they won't ever mm -hmm. and you have to let them know that your boundaries are something that you are determined no matter what to mm -hmm. not compromise on because they're important to you they're part of you know, who you are your character and and you'll negotiate on other things you know mm -hmm. comp, you know compromise is important but there are certain things that we need to feel like we're being respected and validated mm -hmm. and loved. Got it.
Let me ask you a question about earlier in the relationship. Is it still smart for a girl to play hard to get early on? Or is that just an old-fashioned kind of thing? You know, I think everything's a balance. But overall, I would say it's it's antiquated and outdated. You really think so? Because, well, it depends on how you say hard to get, hard right? Hard to get is like you're not as available as you really are. Uh, you act busier than you really are. You might have yeah. I, I think that I think that's acting. I guess I think it's really a waste of time. I think it's outdated yeah. in a world where it's so hard to tell who likes you, and we have all these options. That's mm. a waste of time. Mm -hmm. But you can, going back to what I said earlier, you can stand in your power, and you can look like someone who knows their worth by again setting boundaries mm. for yourself and communicating that, and 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 be willing to walk away. Mm. So I think there's a big difference. Uh, between chasing something mm -hmm. and going after what you want, mm -hmm. right? Chasing something is you just chasing something. You don't even know why you're chasing it because you're chasing it because you want the validation. You're not chasing it because you actually need it or you want it or it's going to fulfill you. You're just chasing it. But going after something, what you want, and communicating with that person or thing that you want it and why you want it mm -hmm. and what that's you're willing to do for it, and that's different. And mm -hmm. that sound, that's that's sexy and that's confidence. It's hard mm. to put yourself out there. Please like me is different than I think we'd be great together. Here's why. The messaging of please yeah. like me is such a tough one, really. Yeah. So, so needy. Let me ask you a question uh, for my friend. Not that she's asking me to ask. I'm just taking it upon myself to get your advice. She's 48. She doesn't want to. It sounds so crazy. It sounds so really bonkers. But she doesn't want to put out for the guys too early so her sense of too early is i gotta date him for six months before i'm gonna put out is she out of her mind is that so antiquated today and what's wrong with that she's wasting her time wasting yeah um because it, her her boundary is all about the timeline yes it very much is yeah. you know her boundary should be about how her confidence and and the emotional connection she's building with this person and she wants to gather respect i, I yeah. think that's behind it all but that's not yeah, but guys don't. Yeah, guys don't care. Yeah, they you know? just don't care. Um, it's not. It's if you have sex without an emotional connection, then that person is going to base what they know about you based off the physical relationship. Why not? You know. Why not? Um, but if you make them wait six months and don't take the time to get to know them, they're still going to be basing it off. Hey, listen, the I can't sex. even believe she gets dates. She yeah. gets so many dates. I'm like, I don't get it. I would never date you ever. <laughs> yeah. So I think you have. She just needs to prioritize feeling confident. In the mutual connection mm. rather than some arbitrary timeline. And also a little bit of honesty, I think, is yeah. very lacking there. Uh, one last question, a technical question, but I want to ask it. Uh, you are an advocate of uh, couple therapy after marriage. Or before. Or yeah. before. Yeah. But I know with my husband, Bill, I went to a couple therapy twice. We've been married almost 40 years. Twice. I didn't get much out of it. Of course, it was his fault. Sure. And I spent a lot of money. <laughs> so... I'd like to ask you, should I want to return? I guess it just depends on what your goal is, right? I mean, I, I well, does it depend on the therapist too? I wonder sure. if I just chose the right, the wrong therapy. What would be, what would you hire in a therapist? What would be the key quality you'd be looking for? Because I'm sure nothing, none of this is my fault. It's the yeah, therapist well, and I my believe, husband's I fault. I believe that. So uh, considering that, comfort <laughs> level. I think you know, like yes. It's therapy. You need to. You're. You're in therapy. You're expressing yourself and your vulnerabilities, and you got to. And it's hard to do. And so, if you don't, I don't. I don't care how good they are. If you don't feel comfortable with them, that's such good advice. You know, so like, simple. What's the What's the point? Yeah. Um, and course. so, not every therapist is created equally. Just like every doctor or mechanic's not created equally. So, yes. 
uh, find the right one. Be patient. Be you know, do some interviews with some th- therapists. I yeah, know that can be inconvenient, but like people act like every therapist is the same. Yes, very much. Um, so. And I think then you have to have a mindset that a therapist isn't there to solve your problems. A, th- a therapist is there to help give you tools mm-hmm. to communicate more effectively uh, with the people in your lives. And if it's couples therapy, it's just they're there to help you give you tools and break down those kind of disconnects and and and, and build some bridges with with you and your partner. It's the only thing long lasting, my yeah. gosh. And then you learn how to do it yourself, which yeah. is so important. Exactly. And so it, yeah, and I don't think any therapy can be that effective in two sessions. So you mm-hmm. do have to be willing to power through and stick with it. Uh, it's maintenance therapy of any kind. I always say like. Therapy isn't effective if it's, if it's treated like open heart surgery or, or reconstructive surgery. It's effective if you treat it like a bicycle helmet or a seatbelt. It's a preventative me- measure, you know. So I think you didn't put that in your book. You have to have There's a lot of things after I finished my book that I was like, ah, shoot, I should have put that oh, in there. Oh, you'll be thinking of one thing. So maybe day. book number two. We'll so see. let's talk about your next book now that you got one under your belt. Is it going to be about divorce? <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Um yeah, I find divorce to be a fascinating thing. And, and interesting that you asked that. There are a couple of shows ideas for podcasts that I, I have centered around divorce because uh, while I haven't experienced divorce, uh, I certainly have experienced heartbreak. And divorce is one of those societal things that I think we have uh, labeled to be such a negative thing and a scarlet letter and a stain so on our resume. So. And... Um, and it's just an unfortunate aspect of relationships these days mm. and, and maybe a healthy option too. And so um, I'm very fascinated by divorce and in, in, in the sense that um, I, I want to learn a little bit more about it and, and, and talk with the people who have experienced um, mm. divorce in and, and hopes that if, if, if they unfortunately have to deal with it, um, again, make them feel a little less afraid of the possibility because obviously oh, it's, it's, a shitty, a stigma, it's a, it's a guess, shitty situation, but a um, it, it might be for the best for everyone. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I am fascinated by the concept. I don't know if my next one's going to be about divorce. Hopefully, well, like hopefully I'm pro- not writing from a, a, a place of personal experience. <laughs> no, but, I don't think you have to yeah. worry about that at all. But um, I'd like you to propose that marriage be renewed every five years. I'm always convinced if you had to renew your vows every five years or you're automatically divorced, you'd have a lot better marriages. I think I think it keeps you on your toes. I think we're in line. Yeah, I, I say all the time, you know, more metaphorically than literally, mm-hmm. you, what makes a relationship special or what makes it romantic isn't deciding that fate brought you together mm-hmm. or destiny. It's waking up every day and realizing that you both could meet other people who you have chemistry with. You can mm-hmm. meet other people who connect, but you say no to that and you choose each other every day. Wow. And you're willing to uh, do the work and you're willing to realize that, like, you know, again, it's the, it's always easy to find someone else you vibe with. It's not mm-hmm. that hard, you know. And and it's not unromantic to say that there's other people out there. What's what's romantic is it felt rom- unromantic, yeah. as you said. It, yeah. I have to say, I know. But it, I but what's really romantic is to realize that's true and say none of those people matter because what I have with you is worth working on and it's worth saying no mm-hmm. to all that because this this what we've built is romantic and what we're willing to fight for is romantic and and we're willing to go to couples therapy or we're willing to uh you know just talk about difficult things and and truly choose each other 
um, you know, and, and make that intentional decision to be with your partner. Because I think the moment you start, to your point, not deciding to be with your partner every day and just assuming that's who you're with, you, you start taking them for granted. Um, and as soon as we start taking people for granted, it's just we, I think we, that, that gap increases and we feel disconnected and we feel, you know, like, I feel like we've all been in relationships. I know I have where you're literally lying in bed with your partner mm-hmm. and you feel miles apart. Yes. You know, so sad. I, so I've, sad. I've, I've felt that feeling before. And I think that comes from, again, just, you know, being like, I'm with you because we decided two years ago to be together, but mm-hmm. I don't know why I choose to be with you today. Mm-hmm. And to your point, I think it's a scary concept to say, we have to renew our vows every five years, but if you're willing to do it, I think that keeps it fresh. It mm-hmm. keeps us learning. It keeps Everything. us realizing that there's something to peel back and a layer to find about your partner who is also growing as an individual uh, along with you. I think you're adorable. You're charming. You give good advice and you're so heartfelt. What could be wrong with a guy like that? I, mean, I have plenty of yeah, things to work on. She's going to be yeah. in for the long haul. I've, well, I hope so. Congratulations. Thank you, really, Barbara. Particularly on your book. Great book. I really Don't appreciate it. Don't text your ex happy birthday. What a great title. I really appreciate that. Did you that. write that title? Uh, my editor kind of, we were kind of playing around with it. And I got to give credit to my editor who kind of like, what about this? And I immediately was like, that's perfect. And the book jacket design is great. Yeah, they did a great job. Nicely done. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.